Hello, and welcome to the USF Emergency Medicine Podcast. In this episode, Dr. Maram Bishawi will be talking about febrile infants, pediatric sepsis, and pediatric GI disorders. Today, I'm going to cover some neonatal disorders as well as pediatric GI disorders. So let's start talking about approaching a neonate and a pediatric patient in the ER. We'll start talking about neonates. There are certain specific disease processes that we should all be familiar with. Let's start off talking about neonatal sepsis. This is usually in your infants that are less than eight weeks old. You have to be familiar with certain disease processes and be able to rule them out. Those include meningitis, pneumonia, UTI, and bacteremia. This child will present with a fever greater than 38 degrees Celsius or hypothermic less than 36 degrees Celsius. Occasionally, they can be in respiratory distress, tachypneic, tachycardic, or even bradycardic, and can have signs of poor perfusion. We should also talk about jaundice. Jaundice is usually benign, but you worry about increasing level of bilirubin because it can cause cornicterus. You expect some mild, unconjugated elevation in bilirubin, which is normal and could be seen after birth. It normally peaks 48 to 96 hours and lasts about two weeks. Then you have your breast milk jaundice, which is normally seen in four to seven days of life. Um, And that's just, I think of it as breast milk versus hepatic enzymes kind of a picture. It's usually self-limited. Make sure you're able to differentiate that from breastfeeding jaundice, which usually shows up within the first few days before maternal milk let down and can cause severe dehydration. It causes increased bilirubin in serum. Next disease process includes inborn errors of metabolism. You want to think of a disruption of mitochondrial enzyme function here, which can cause a buildup of toxic products or inability to produce vital proteins as well as molecules. These infants will usually present with poor feeding, vomiting, hypoglycemia, seizures, and even lethargy. Next on the list is congenital heart disease. This is the presentation that's going to make you want to change your scrubs. So be wary of the ductal dependent lesions. Those normally present first couple of days of life. Your presentation is going to be very similar to sepsis and a shock picture. This is due to decreased cardiac output. You can also have severe hypoxia that's not responsive to 100% of supplemental oxygen. You want to consider a very thorough exam and at least blood pressures in all extremities. Next up is abdominal pathology. This is not very common in your neonatal population, except for two disease processes that I'm going to try and simplify. The first is your hypertrophic pyloric stenosis. This is the more benign process. It normally occurs in three to six week olds, and this is a medical urgency. Your infant is going to present with non-bilious projectile MSS after feeding. This is that presentation where the infant is constantly going to be hungry after their MSS. You want to make sure that you rule out dehydration and electrolyte imbalance. Your second one, which is the emergency, is malrotation with mid-gut valvulus. This can result in bowel ischemia, necrosis, and even death. This is your neonate with bilious emesis. Any neonate that presents in this way has malrotation until proven otherwise. This can present with poor feeding, lethargy, and even shock. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about your pediatric approach. This is going to be your 2 month to 12 months. This presentation is going to be very different than your less than eight-week-olds that we just talked about. These kids are normally vaccinated since they have to start at two months and are usually more interactive and can tell you more, so it's a more reliable exam. 
Some major points again that I'm going to cover, I'm not going to go through everything. The posterior fontanelle closes at this age, but the anterior remains open until after one year of age, and that's to allow for protection um, against elevated ICP. Fever is going to be one of the most common presentations for this age group. It's usually a viral illness, unlike the youngins, which can be extremely septic. You want to think about UTI in the presence of fever greater than two days without any other symptoms, especially in females up to the age of 12 months or uncir uncircumcised males up to the age of 12 months or circumcised up to the age of six months. So always consider doing an EUA in this population. Other presentations could be respiratory complaints. This is extremely common, especially in the winter months. You want to think of your bronchiolitis. This is an upper and lower airway problem, which means that you can have rhinorrhea, congestion, tachypnea, retractions, wheezing, ronchi, blah, blah, blah. The problem here is dehydration. And the reason that you get dehydrated is because you have increased tachypnea, which you will get insensible losses with exhaled water vapor, as well as the increased uh, difficulty of feeding, which can cause you to be dehydrated. These patients are not always hypoxic, so make, make sure you don't rule that out just because of hypoxia. Croup is another respiratory complaint that you will see. This normally occurs in older infants, and it's caused by parainfluenza. You're looking for your seal, barky cough that's worse at night, and inspiratory strider. You want to make sure that you differentiate that from epiglottitis, but it's less common now due to vaccination. Foreign body is something that you cannot forget when it comes to respiratory complaints. You want to look for your respiratory distress, plus or minus focal findings, and no infection. Another complaint that you will see in this age group is vomiting plus or minus diarrhea. This is normally benign in this age group and usually due to viral causes, but you want to think about dehydration, which is more important than the actual bug itself that's causing these symptoms. So your history and your physical exam is going to be really important here. Something really quick to mention is hemodynamics. In a kid, the heart rate is going to increase, so they will present with tachycardia way before they present with hypotension. So make sure that you approach this differently than you would in an adult. Now let's talk about peds abdominal pain. So we'll go back and talk about infancy. Normally the most common cause of abdominal pain in this age group is colic. They're normally excessively crying and fussy, but you can calm them down easily. Vomiting in a neonate is never normal. So you always wanna think about obstruction or a serious infection, necrotizing enterocolitis, or bilious vomiting, which we talked about, is mid-gut uh, rotation with valvulus until proven otherwise. Gastroenteritis is normal with kids. Um, it's usually vomiting, plus or minus diarrhea, but you should not really have abdominal pain. If you do, that's persisting. Consider other etiologies. The most common cause of abdominal pain in ED presentation in the pediatric population is constipation. And now we will move on to surgical emergencies. I'm going to try and break this by age groups to keep it as simple as possible. Before we start that, let's talk about some general advice. If you have green vomit in a kid, it's surgical. If you have vomiting and distension, it's surgical. If you have vomiting and shock, guess what? It's surgical. That being said, let's start talking about the one month. So during the one month, you can have necrotizing enterocolitis, which I mentioned earlier. This is inflammation of the bowel, which could lead to necrosis and perf. This is very common in your premature kids with premature feedings. Presents normally within the first week of life, and it has three stages. Stage one is very nonspecific symptoms. It could just be apnea, alties, lethargy, or vomiting. They can present as 
uh, feeding intolerance or vomiting or even with an ileus. Stage two, this is definite with imaging. This is where you're going to see your nomatosis intestinalis. The treatment here is stabilization, bowel rest, and IV antibiotics, mostly medical. Stage three is your abdominal distension, acidosis, DIC kind of a picture, and then progresses to shock. Your treatment here is resuscitation and emergent surgery. You always want to consider this diagnosis in a neonate who's vomiting, especially if it's bilious. Check stool for blood, check abdominal wall for erythema and duration, and always get surgery on board early enough. You can also consider uh, decompression and IV antibiotics, ampicillin, genta normally, or you can do colinda or even flagell. Next up is your malrotation with valvulus, which we, I talked about a little bit earlier. This is still in your one-month age group. The buzzword for this is LADS bands, which is that high tethering of the cecum to the abdominal wall. You're going to have a peristalsis valvulus, and you can have ischemia. These kids normally appeal well, and then suddenly they're just bad. They present with bilious vomiting, as I told you before, and you can see that corkscrew appearance on an upper GI series. Next up is Hirschsprung disease. This, again, is your one-month age group. This is a problem of the migration of the neural crest cells. So you can have poor to no peristalsis. They can present with constipation, perf, and even sepsis. These kids normally fail to pass meconium in the first 48 hours of life. They can come to the ED with bowel obstruction or intracolitis. They normally need a contrast enema to diagnose, but make sure you're aware of toxic megacolon, which could happen as a complication. You can have a sawtooth appearance on a barium enema, and again, it's a surgical emergency. Next disease process is pyloric stenosis. This will present in your one-month to two-year-olds. This is just hypertrophy of the pyloric sphincter. So these kids will present hungry all the time but can't keep anything down. This is that projectile emesis that we were talking about. They they're normally will have poor weight gain because they're not feeding. Your diagnosis for this will depend on ultrasound. So any pyloris that measures greater than 3 millimeters times 14 millimeters it's, is considered hypertrophic. Get it? Pyloris. 3.14, no, not funny, sorry, post-call PQ. Your upper GI will show a string sign, again, just another mnemonic. Your treatment for this, you can try oral atropine via an NG tube, and this works by the muscarinic effect to decrease that pyloric tune, but eventually they will need surgery. Next disease process is interception. We're still talking about your one-month to two-year-olds. 90% of these presentations are going to be localized to the uh, iliocolic. This is your dramatic onset of pain with vomiting. It normally happens in cycles every 3 to 20 minutes. This is the presentation that we read about where the kid falls down, gets into fetal position, intense pain, and then it kind of resolves and then it comes back. If you do an ultrasound, you'll see a target sign, which really just looks like a donut to me. That is 100% sensitive and specific, so your best diagnosis. You can do an abdominal x-ray. The reason you will do that is not really because it's specific, it's actually non-specific, but it's usually just to rule out perf before any sort of a reduction. Your treatment here is a hydrostatic enema. You can also do an air contrast enema, but that has a higher rate of perf compared to that of a hydrostatic. Just a buzzword for this, you have a triad that you should be familiar with. This is your colicky pain with your emesis, with your bloody stools. This is your current jelly stools that we talk about. However, this triad will rarely present all at the same time. 
Next up is appendicitis. This is going to present in your kids that are two years and older. It's really not that common in anybody that's younger. If it presents in an infant, it's going to be peritonitis. It's nonspecific. The pain usually comes before the vomiting, and the location is going to vary in your child. Then don't forget about obstruction. The most common cause of obstruction is the same of that of adults. So your ABCs, the way I remember them. Your A is for adhesions, your B for bulges such as hernia, and C for cancers. You want to look for underlying conditions that can cause the obstruction because remember, kids are not supposed to have this. And then one last thing I wanted to kind of include in this uh, GI emergency surgery group is uh, mechal diverticulum. This is your painless rectal bleeding and the rules of two, if you remember. The reason I want to include it in this is because it could be serious, it could ulcerate and perforate without any sort of prior diverticulitis symptoms. That's all, folks. Time for me to go to bed. Thanks for listening, and we'll cover peds again next time.